Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Welcome to the afternoon show, Bill Arnold with you. Thank you for joining me today. I'm looking forward to the day because I've got the guys, the power panel is in place. They're getting there in place. I think we're still waiting for the uh, 007 agent to descend upon us. And then we will uh, go ahead with Guy Talk. Let me know what your questions are today. We can uh, take lots of questions. 877-933-2484. That's the number to text. And then if you would like to email me, maybe you're more comfortable doing that. You can email me, Bill at myfaithradio.com. Bill at myfaithradio.com. Power panel today, uh, so far as pastors Tom Brock and Tom Parrish, and I think Justin was with us, but he maybe went away. I'm sure we'll get him back. Gentlemen, welcome. Hi there, Bill. Tom Parrish, how are you? Oh, we're not hearing Tom. Tom, are you there? I'm here. Terrific. There we go. Can you hear me now? I can hear you now. Thank you. Uh, for I'm doing great, Bill. Thank you. Terrific. And Justin, uh, do, uh, do we have Justin yet? Yeah, that's the way Justin works. You know, he he kind of comes into the program when he feels like it. Maybe not at the beginning, maybe in the first few minutes, but he comes in when he wants, which is great. So um, <laughs> um, we're going to uh, jump right into the questions that I want uh, to start with one that came from a listener uh my wingman, Terry, he uh, sent me this question earlier today. I might have even passed it on to you. He was talking about Romans, uh, I'm sorry, Hebrews 5.8. And the verse goes, although he was a son, he learned obedience from the things which he suffered. And his sticking point was the phrase, he learned obedience. Um, and, of course, Jesus, being the Son of God, understood obedience completely, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Is that it? We move on? <laughs> I expect well, I mean, so much you know, more from more. you guys. Go ahead, Tom. Well, in terms of learning obedience, I think that if we think Jesus started with a human deficiency, that he was sinful, like some people want to believe, then obedience made him a better person. That's not what it's saying at all. When you talk about Jesus being obedient, we're talking about uh, he learned obedience, or as he walked faithfully, did the Father's will, kept his mind on the mission. You know, he stayed on track with what he was called to do. Now, the term obedience means he stayed in line. He did exactly what he was uh, set apart to do. He didn't deviate from that. He didn't go to left or right. And he was unfocused all the time. So we're not working with a deficiency of of sinfulness or broken humanity. Mm -hmm. But as both really man and really God, he knew exactly what he was here for, and he did it perfectly. Yeah. I was looking in... uh the uh, Craig Keener IVP study Bible, and he said, discipline, including beatings, was a standard part of most Greek education. Classical yeah. Greek writers stressed learning through suffering in the Old Testament and later Jewish wisdom. Traditions portray divine chastisement as a sign of God's love. Mm-hmm. And of course, and, uh, the Jesus' participation in human suffering qualified him to be the ultimate high priest. Well, he really knew what suffering was about. He understood it as we do. 
I mean, you and I don't know anything about suffering until we go through it. And uh, once we experience it, then we know. Jesus both knew what was coming, knew what it was about, and walked into it without any hesitation to redeem you and me. And, you know, it's a good question. What does it mean in Hebrews when it says Jesus learned obedience? And that that verse made me stumble a little bit. So I had, uh, this was not recently, but earlier, I looked it up and studied with some good commentaries. And here's the point. The same author, Hebrews, says Jesus was tempted in all aspects such as we are, yet without sin. Mm -hmm. So the, the author of Hebrews teaches that Jesus didn't have sin, but he also teaches Jesus learned obedience. So what does that mean? Um, I think what we would say is uh, we want to maintain that Jesus never sinned, but we also want to maintain, as it says in Luke, uh, what is it, chapter 2, Jesus grew in wisdom and stature with God and men, which means that God truly became human and truly learned things. I mean, I because Jesus truly became human, I don't think he could do trigonometry at age three. And when he was walking through the crowd as an adult and some lady grabbed him, he turns around and says, who touched me for I perceived power went out from me. He didn't know who it was that touched him. So there are some things when God became incarnate, became enfleshed in human form, that he chose to limit himself not to know. And when we say Jesus learned obedience, because the very same author says Jesus didn't have sin, that we got to ask the question, what does that mean? And I think he learned how to obey his father as he grew up. It doesn't mean he ever sinned, but he learned from just experience and having a real human life how to uh, grow in obedience, um, not that he ever was disobedient. Mm-hmm. Let, me, let me take this one step further. Now, you two guys are, are single, I take it. I've been married a long time. How do you learn faithfulness in marriage? Well, you can read about it, you can talk about it, you can listen to other people's story, but the way you learn faithfulness in marriage is when you get tempted, when that person walks into your life that is not your spouse and is available and wants to be available and wants to be there. And it's at that moment you have to make a choice. Am I going to stay faithful or am I going to satisfy my own desires? Learning obedience means at that moment... I make the choice to walk in my faith, in faithfulness to my wife. Jesus faced every temptation we face, and they were real temptations. They really pulled on him, but he made the choice of walking with the Father and doing the Father's will and never allowing himself to give in to that, and that's obedience. And Agent 007 has joined us. Justin, welcome. Hey, brothers. Good to be with you all. This, yeah. is, this is a great good to hear you so far. Yeah, yeah absolutely. absolutely. You, want, you want a piece of this? <laughs> Do I want a piece of this? Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, this is this is a great question. I, I you know, I don't know if I, uh, one of the times I already alluded to this, but what came to my mind was, you know, at the end of Luke 2, you know, right prior to Jesus, you know, the Luke saying that he grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man, you know, he was, he was left behind in Jerusalem, you know, and Mary and Joseph were freaking out and they searched three days and finally came back. They found him in the temple and, you know, they were saying like, why did you do this to us? Why did you, you know, uh, uh, scare us like this? I'm paraphrasing of course, but he said, you know, did, did you not know that I needed to be about my father's business? So he was, he was being obedient to the father, but yet the next phrase, the next line after that next verse says that yet he submitted to them. 
And so um, I, I think there's this, this idea that he is, he is, on one hand, being obedient to what God has called him to do, but yet he's still being submissive to his earthly parents. And so I think, we, mm-hmm. I think we're seeing here the convergence of both the mystery and the beauty that Jesus was fully God and fully man. From the moment of his conception, that was true. Um, and so we're seeing Jesus literally go through every phase and stage of our human existence. And as what was already talked about, he's, because he's our great high priest, he's tempted in every way that we are yet without sin, um, that he's able to come alongside of us and to strengthen us to be obedient as he was obedient. And I think we, this kind of culminates at the end. The author of Hebrews also talks about, you know, says Jesus in the days of his flesh, made loud cries and supplications, you know, he agonized in the place of prayer, and he was heard because of his reverence. And, you know, a lot of commentators seem to suggest that what that line is being referred to is Jesus in the garden. And so, um, and saying, Father, if, if, if there's any other way for this cup to pass, you know, let that be so. But nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. So Jesus was Learning that obedience and becoming obedient, that pathway to obedience was something that really progressed and developed as, as, as yeah, fully God, but yet fully man. And so I think we, we see that the humanity and deity of Christ converge there again at the garden and at crucial moments in his life and ministry. Um, so I, I think that they get greater. Well, we were... We just lost you, Justin, but that's okay. I'm sure you'll come back. Um, I think you went through a little bit of a, a... Can you hear me now? I can hear you now. Yeah, finish your thought, because it was really, really good. Well, now I lost my train of thought. I, I was basically just saying, yeah, we see, we see again, um, his humanity and deity converge at crucial points yeah. along his life and ministry, and I think we, we really see that kind of come to a, a pinnacle in, in the garden in terms of his learning obedience and him, you know, going to the cross and finishing the task and the mission that that the Father had given him to do. Very nicely uh, stated. Thank you so much for that. All right, I think I'm going to take my first break because I also want to let listeners know you can send questions over. Uh, Any question, any kind, we'll we'll take. We'll be happy to uh, field your question, 877-933-2484, 877-933-2484. If you're more comfortable emailing, This is an easy email to remember, bill at myfaithradio.com, bill at myfaithradio.com. Be right back. the show. Guy Talk is uh, happening. The power panel is Pastors Tom Brock, Tom Parrish, and Justin Jepson. Awfully glad to have uh, these guys on board today and lots of questions. So let's get to them. Let's stay in the book of Hebrews. Uh, I think Hebrews 13 verse 8 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Would you explain why this is one of the most reassuring verses in the Bible? would like to go first. I'll say Tom Parrish. Well, I love this verse. It was one of the first verses I learned when I took Greek in seminary, uh, because it is such a powerful, powerful verse. Basically, what I, I see here, and the reason I, I love this verse so much, is that what Jesus has said in his word, he's never going to change his mind. What he said about his love for you and me, 
he's not going to change his mind. And he says that if we come to him in repentance, and we do, no matter what we've done, he's not going to change his mind. He's going to forgive us. So the consistency, and honestly, I, I don't know anybody in life who's that consistent. But Jesus is, and that's why this verse to me uh, is the epitome of what the Bible is talking about, because I can have total assurance that Jesus is who he says he is. He's going to do what he said he would do, and what he offers me is absolutely real, and I can bank on it. Fantastic. Tom Brock? You know, I would say um, everything in the world changes, and it gets depressing. <laughs> I mean, the older you get, more more people die that you grew up with, and you you watch the news, and we have all the social turmoil and the pandemic, and everything is always changing, and it's it's uh, just good to know that no matter what happens to my body, soul, or spirit, I'm safe in Christ. My, what is the Colossians says? Our, our life is hidden with Christ in God, and when Christ appears, you know, we'll appear with Him in glory. So I, to me, that's the comfort that He's He doesn't budge. Everything else budges and falls apart and decays. But if I'm connected to Him, I'm fine. Tom, does it seem that there's the the first half of life is a lot of gaining and acquiring, and the second half is has a lot of loss and, and pain. I mean, I lost a high school friend this week, and I had another friend die all within like three days. Yeah, it it, it does. I think the it's, first half of life, you got, uh, you kind of go through life not having a clue that you could die at any second. <laughs> and you just keep moving on, and yeah. you just... and But then the, the older you get, well, you know, wh- wh- how many more days have I got left? And I'm much more conscious of my death than I was the first half of, half of my life. Yeah. Again, that's why it's good good to know that my salvation Christ never changes. Yeah, and that's not a—I'm not trying to have a, a depressing conversation about this at all. This is like—this is a, an up, uplifting conversation that mm-hmm. we have full awareness that the day God calls us home, let's be ready. Yeah, amen. Yeah. Do you remember the song by Rick Astley, uh, Never Gonna Give You Up? Yeah, I remember that. I was looking at the lyrics the other day, and I just looked them up here. He says in the verse, he's singing to his girlfriend, I guess, never going to give you up, never going to let you down, never going to run around and desert you, never going to make you cry, never going to say goodbye, never going to tell a lie and hurt you. Is that a better description of Jesus in Hebrews 13, 8 than anywhere else? He's not, he's not going to let us down. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. That's uh, he's Tom, the... could you sing that for us? No, please. No, please, no. Never going to yeah, give yeah. you up. Oh, I'm sorry. There you go. Well, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm grooving, Tom. Go All ahead. right. Let's, get, <laughs> let's let 007 uh, weigh in on this one. Uh, no, that's great. And now, now I'm kind of asking the question, okay, when you say the first half of life, I'm okay. Am I still in the first half of life? I think I you are. The Junior. threshold into the second. Are you think? Okay. All right. Well, <laughs> I'll receive that. But I, you know, I, I think one of the things to add that, that came to my mind in terms of, you know, theologians talk about this as the immutability. Immut- Ability, there it is, the Word of God, you know, that He is unchanging. And um, J.I. Packer in his book, Knowing God, makes this case of, you know, the authors of the biblical text writing from the first century. I mean, there's this huge, great, wide chasm, right, of, of history, of culture, of language. And how is it that we can know the God of the Bible that, that they talked about? And, and what, what bridges this huge chasm between the first century Christians and now the 21st century Christians? And and he says it's simply this. It's, it's, it's the same God. So that was with them is the same God that's with us today. And so I think because of that, that helps us understand that we're, we're a part of a family of faith 
that stretches across the generations and, and goes and reaches into and extends into all of eternity. And so I think it gives us um, just a, just a, just a beautiful perspective that is so needed, uh, especially as was alluded to earlier in the midst of a pandemic when so much is unchanging and so much is uncertain, you know, that our God is the one who is our refuge and strength and a very present help in our time of need. He's the stability of our times. He's our security. And so, but I think it also bridges that gap as we're reading the Bible, we can, we can really enter into that same fellowship that the, that the biblical writers were talking about, that we're not just we're not just reading about God. We're actually getting to encounter Him as we as we open His Word. Mm, like it. All right. Here's a. Anybody else want to comment further, or should I move on? Oh. Okay. Here's a question from a listener. What do you think is the one good question we could all ask ourselves before the end of this year to reflect more on what God is doing in our individual lives, as well as to help us fix our eyes on Him? Hmm. What, one question, Bill, he said? Yeah, what do you think is is one good question we could all ask ourselves before the end of this year to reflect more on what God is doing in our individual lives as well as to help us fix our eyes on Him? Mm. Well, I... Would, go ahead. Yeah, well, it's, it's, hard to, it's hard to pick one, pick what, you know, maybe one question, but I, I think I've shared this before, but I've actually been making a practice to prayerfully answer a list of a short list of questions and then I think it's good that we can I've been doing this often and definitely I think it'd be something that I will continue to do at the close of this year as we move into the next um, and whatever it holds but um, it's r- real briefly it's a question of laments I reflect back what what is this last season this last year taken from me and in bringing and going vertical with my grief and and really turning the pain that I've experienced into prayer the second one is a question of hope. It's what what is this past year not taken from me? In other words, what's truly essential? What's what's truly my priorities? What is are the what are the things that are unchanging because of our unchanging God in my life that I can always count on? And then and then uh, a question um, of uh, of blessing. What is this past year given to me? Um, and what can I truly express gratitude and thanksgiving for? And um, and then for me, looking forward, um, what's a, a question of faith? You know, what, not only do I thank God what He has done, what am I going to thank Him in advance for what He can do, what I'm trusting He He will do in the coming in the coming year. So, but yeah, yeah, multifaceted who, compound question there. Yeah. I don't know if I could distill it down to one question. I like that. Who wants to follow the Anointed One? <laughs> oh, oh, wow! You know, the Anointed One. <laughs> No. This is knighting people. I like it. One. I, I'm no. pretty sure the no, Messiah no, is only Jesus can have that one. No, that that's, was a there was a an ex, it was an exceptional answer. I mean, it was well, just amazing. <laughs> well, you know, okay, you know I'll Bill, I'll the take, anointed one is Christ. Oh, right? I know, exactly. I know, Tom. Exactly. I know you. I know you know the the, some anoint, some the anointing don't. on that one. The anointing people, on Justin. Yeah, but some people think the word Christ is Jesus' last name, and just to be clear, anointed one means Christ. Jesus Christ is the Christ. It's a term, it's a title, not a last name. Go ahead, Tom. Well, the, the thing that drives me that I think about a lot, and the older I get, the more I think about this. I, if I could actually talk to the Lord right now in the sense of face-to-face, I would say to him, Jesus, what do you want me to do so that you can say to me, well done, good and faithful servant? And that's pretty much where I'd leave it. Hmm. 
I like because that. I don't always know what I need to do. But I do want the Lord to say that at the end of time when I stand before him. And the only way, guys, I know how to get there is to ask Jesus to guide me. I like that. What about you, Tom Brock? Well, you know, I don't know. Uh, last week, Bill, you raised the question, what about those who never hear the gospel of Christ? Okay. I don't know, don't know if you remember that. And this week, uh, yesterday, actually, a guy that I grew up with in Omaha who's got a lot of money, a Christian man committed to the Lord, asked me that question. And I said to him that I've come to the belief, Romans 10, that how can they—you uh, have to call upon Jesus to be saved, but how can you call upon him if you've never heard of him? And how can people hear unless somebody's sent? So I, I basically said I think we need to maintain that if you don't hear about Christ, that's not your ticket to heaven. You need to hear about Christ and believe in him to be saved. And I said to my friend on the phone yesterday, if you come to really believe that, it changes the way you spend your money. And so the the, the question you posed, what questions should I ask of God? Um, I think we all should ask this question, Lord, how do you want me to spend my money this month? Mm. And and not and just to really hear out that is my money going to eternal purposes or to a, a bigger TV set or you fill in the blank. But I, I think American Christians, especially because we're so wealthy compared to the rest of the world, wouldn't it be great if we lived humble, frugal lives and sent buckets to missionaries? So that's my thought. Mm-hmm. I like that. Anybody else have anything to add? All right. Well, we're coming up on a break here in about 90 seconds, so I don't know how much we can get uh, further into another question. Um, But I'm just uh, curious about the uh, passage out of Philippians that's getting used quite a bit lately. And so maybe I'll just set this up and we'll go to break. But um, the I have the strength to face all conditions by the power that Christ gives me and I know that that's a, a verse that people will use all the time, Philippians 4.13. But I'm wondering uh, specifically, how are we going to be applying that verse in the, in the li- in our lives today? So that's going to be the question. I want to let everyone know your questions are absolutely welcome. Let me know uh, what, what they are. You can send them over to me in a text of 877-933-2484. Or if you like email, I can take email to bill at myfaithradio.com. You're listening to Guy Talk, and the power panel today is Pastors Tom Brock, Tom Parrish, and Agent Justin Jepson. We'll be right back. Let's get it started. Jump in your car. 
All right, we are back. We're not gone long. Guy talk is happening, and we uh, got some great questions coming in. Uh, we're back to Philippians chapter 4. I know this verse keeps popping up. Starting in 12, it says, I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Uh how do we apply this verse uh, to life today? And why is it a secret? The secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Why is it a secret? Well, I think it goes back to, you know, we talked about earlier about Jesus learning obedience. Um, you know, Paul, Paul had to learn this through experience. You know, I mean, as a, really as a pioneer, apostle, missionary, bringing the gospel to where really, you know, to the, to the ends of the earth and, and, um, that fulfillment of that paradigm, you know, that Jesus gave his, his disciples back in Acts 1-8. Um, I think it's a secret because it's not something that can just simply be explained. Um, it's not something that, you know, here's this equation, follow these steps. Because I, I think it arises out of, the, of a dynamic, personal, intimate relationship with, with Jesus, but also with the connection to the local church body. And so, I mean, like Philippians, you know, really could be kind of likened to a a missionary prayer or support letter to ascending church and a supporting church. And I think, um, you know, really this idea is that God has given each of us a part of the great commission to follow um, in terms of making disciples. And I, and I think at least the way that I understand this verse as, yeah, it totally, and Bill, you were, you read the context, obviously, which is um, of vital importance to actually to understand a specific verse and to know how to apply it correctly. But the way that I read it and understand it is that, God has given us um, a specific uh, mission and calling and a connection towards the fulfillment of the Great Commission. And whatever that is, um, it's not dependent upon, you know, um, you know, what we think we can do, how much is in our bank account, what titles we have, our experience even, that it's actually provided for us and supplied for us um, by, by God's grace and within the context, not only relationship with Him, but His connect, connection to the local church. And so it's basically, I think, saying that basically I, I, God will supply everything that I need to do anything that he's called me to. Mm, I like um, that. So, and it's, and I think we apply it overly individualistically. You know, of course we see, <laughs> see this verse on the back of, you know, sports t-shirts and different, you know, we talk about, I can score this touchdown. I can ace this test. I can, and I think it's not meant to be applied just individually. It's meant to be applied towards, how what God's called me to in connection to a broader, broader mission. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. In all my years in the ministry, guys, it's verses like these that I found the most problem with congregational members. That is, and Justin, you hit the nail on the head, they took it out of context. I mean, they would hang the verse on their wall, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. But they'd want to apply it to things that the context is never talking about. You know, the my wife is four foot eleven. Um I, she can have this verse up in her room every day, and she can recite it a thousand times, but she's not going to dunk a basketball. You know, there's just certain things that this does not apply to. And the problem is Paul's applying it to his uh, how he's getting by, how he's making it day to day, how he's struggling with what's going on. Uh, he has need, and then it gets supplied, and he's learned to trust the Lord, and through that, the gospel would carry it out, even though Paul doesn't have a steady income and Paul doesn't have, you know, necessarily three meals a day. So I really like the way you put that. And it's absolutely right. 
you've got to look at both what comes before and comes after in order to make sense out of this. Yeah, and I, and I think maybe just to add to that, you know, I think the, one of the ways that we misinterpret this, you know, I think maybe some of us heard this this message and maybe well-intentioned, but, you know, you can do anything you set your mind to, right? You know, there's no limits. And, and I think sometimes we can think, well, I, I, I can do anything I want because of Christ's strength. You know, and like, well, it's 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 really, you know, again, that's over individualizing. And I think I heard one pastor put it this way, that basically Jesus is everything we need for anything we face. And so whatever it is that we have before us, whatever obstacle or opposition, um, God, God supplies, God supplies the strength. You know, and I, and I think uh, I think it was was it Hudson Taylor, I think, who, you know, said it that this way that, you know, God's work done done God's way will never lack God's supply. Mm-hmm. And so, um, so I think that's it's, that, that that's the idea, um, I think, behind, behind this, especially in the light of kind of the missionary context that it's written in. Preach it, brother. Preach it. Yeah. Tom but I would like to dunk a basketball. Well, I've never done that. <laughs> I would still like to well, do that. <laughs> you know, I, I pretty, much, pretty much totally agree with everything. The, the only thought I would add, Paul said, I know how to be hungry, and I know how to be full. Paul was hungry. And I think that verse is kind of a rebuke to the prosperity gospel in America that, you know, you have faith, you're never going to go hungry, you're going to prosper, you're going to be healthy. And, you know, no, Paul said, I know how to be hungry. It is possible. I think Christians can die of starvation. I think that's possible. It's happened in, in, you know, especially during the persecution in the first 300 years of the church. But but he still can do all things. I mean, uh, if you die of hunger— if, if that's the Lord's will for you to suffer persecution and die of hunger, you can do that uh, through Christ who strengthens you. So, yeah, it's the context is important, and not to have that verse apply to stuff that it's not supposed to apply to. And then, of course, the gospel that we read here in America, in our more comfortable surroundings, is the same gospel that you would preach to a family living on a, tr- a trash dump in India. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So all the promises and, and claims that, that we read in Scripture today, living here, would apply to them as well. Yeah, yeah. Can I take this thought one bit further? Sure. I've been very privileged to travel around the world and live in jungles among people, both that are uh, Christians that came out of uh, Hinduism, Christians that came out of being Muslim and whatever, you know, along those lines. What's interesting there, and this really caught me off guard, guys, what do we talk about when we talk about the book of Revelation here in America? We have conference after conference, you know, wanting to know if you're amillennial, amillennial, postmillennial, you know, all the things that line up with that. And, and those are very popular conferences. When you go to India, you go to Bangladesh, you go to Nepal, that's not what they talk about when they talk about Revelation. They're not talking about the time and the date of his return or how to work that all out or whether, you know, how this is going to happen. What they say is the book of Revelation tells us that Jesus wins, not our enemies, not those who persecute us, not those that have stolen our daughter, but Jesus wins and he will have the final word. And for them, that's the entire book of Revelation. Nice. Anybody else? Otherwise, I'll move on. All right. I'll take that as a big no. Um <laughs> Well, we can keep going if you want, Bill. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just, I just I just want to make sure yeah. you've had all your thoughts on the table, or as many of them as come to mind in this moment. <laughs> well, can I can I maybe you know I think the 
two other thoughts that came to my mind yeah. regarding this was, you know, Bill, your comment about, and, and uh, Tom, too, following up with that, that the same gospel, you know, that we preach here, you know, when we think about America, even though, you know, our understanding maybe in terms of how we define prosperity and how we define success um, can be dramatically different than how the Bible does. But but it's the same promise, it's the same gospel, because going back to Hebrews 13, 8, it's the same God. And so the gospel doesn't change because God doesn't change, which is another verse, another verse, right, that we hear, that I hear quoted quite a bit, is um, Philippians 4, 19, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Mm-hmm. And anyway, I think we, we rip that one out of context just as much, meaning yeah. like, you know, you know, basically take... Philippians 4.13, I can just kind of do anything I want. God's going to supply, you know, the strength, you know, and then maybe we're struggling financially, we're, you know, can't make our, you know, mortgage payment, that type of thing, and we quote Philippians 4.19. Now, is it true God provides? Absolutely, absolutely. But the context here is that the Philippians, out of their lack, were still generously contributing to Paul's ministry and partnering with him in the gospel. And so essentially— they they're saying out of out of not out of their abundance but out of their lack they 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 wanted to supply Paul's need and even giving that little even when they didn't have much at all to begin with um Paul's now turning around to say you know what when you seek to bless God's going to turn around and I, I'm going to trust this as you have sacrificed to help meet my need God is going to not leave you hanging out to dry because anything we get, anything he asks us to give up um, only positions us to re- receive something better. And, and so I, I think that's another verse too. I think we say, I can do everything I want. I can have anything I want <laughs> when the gospel flips the script and it's, it's, yeah, it's yeah. not talking about our individual abilities or our individual needs, even though it includes those but it just connects them to a greater perspective and purpose, I think. Mm-hmm. Let me just... In my years of... Oh, go ahead, Sorry. Tom. In my years of ministry, I buried four children, uh, one infant and, and three toddlers is what it comes down to, uh, through a variety of circumstances. You will never go to a bigger funeral than a funeral of a child. I mean, the church was packed, even to the, the setting up chairs and the narthex and almost outdoors. And then after that, it's almost dead silence. Because nobody knows what to say a month later. Nobody knows, really knows how, how to talk about this. And so in the West, we built a very comfortable gospel theology, you know, out of these verses that we took out of context. But we don't build a very good theology on what happens when Christians, you know, go through horrible times of having their daughters raped or having their children die or something horrible happen. And as a result, I think that we're losing our voice to especially millennials who look at this and say, but what about when this happens? So I appreciate what you guys are saying, and you're absolutely right. We have to look at it in this context. We have to put it, you know, in its right understanding so that we honor the Lord and speak the truth, because in this life, whether you're Christian or not, there's going to be plenty of problems and plenty of suffering. But for the Lord's purposes, he'll also supply our needs as we need them at the time. And and think of it this way. The man who wrote my God shall supply all my needs. The Apostle Paul was beaten up from town to town throughout uh, Asia Minor. So here's a man who suffered a lot, 
was uh, what 39 times got the excuse me three times got the 39 strokes i mean this man suffered a lot and said i can do all things through christ who strengthens me for him that didn't didn't mean i get to avoid suffering it meant i'm going to go through suffering and he's going to provide my needs sometimes my need is to die for christ because that's god's plan for my life and it's not like god like god didn't keep his promise he'll supply apply all my needs not all my wants but all my needs and one of my needs may be to suffer for Christ in martyrdom. So, yeah, you guys are yeah. pretty. You guys are pretty interesting today. <laughs> Thank you, Bill. <laughs> it's because Peter's not here. No, I'm yeah. just kidding. I didn't say that out loud. No, no. I know. I know. So in, I want to go back <laughs> yeah, to Philippians four real quick, where it says, "I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need." A listener t- uh, named Tom said, "Is Paul talking about actual hunger?" I think he is. Yeah, he, yeah, he I mean, is. Read, read, read when, where is it, where he lists all the stuff he went through. I've been in yeah. shipwrecks. I've been sleepless it. nights. Mm-hmm. I mean, he, I've been hungry. And, I, you know, I've been the 39 lashes, 40 lashes less one three times. I mean, yeah, he seriously went through. I mean, he, I mean, you can apply it to spiritual hunger. But I think in this context, no, he physically was hungry. Mm-hmm. All right. Quick question. Uh Ask the pastors if James and John were the half-brothers of Jesus. Yes. From everything uh-huh. I've read, and I've read a lot of the early church fathers, yes, there's a biological connection there. Okay. Yeah. And also the book of James is kind of interesting. James says, uh, what does he say, the brother of John? What does he say that when he says, I'm James, the brother of, he doesn't say the brother of Jesus. He says the brother of, what is it, John? I can't remember. But in the, you, you ask the question, well, if James Truly, who wrote that book, was the half-brother of Jesus, you know, the son of Mary and Joseph after Jesus was born, why didn't he say I'm the brother of Jesus? And what I remember reading is because he was being humble. He didn't want to say, hey, <laughs> I'm the Lord's brother. He was just being humble about it. But, uh Yeah. Yeah. All right, we'll take one more break, but we've got time for some more questions. Text them over to me, 877-933-2484. Again, 877-933-2484. Or if you like, email bill at myfaithradio.com. We're doing Guy Talk today. Our power panel is Pastors Tom Brock, Tom Parrish, and Justin Jepson. Be right back. Welcome back to Guide Talk. We've got some great questions coming in. Thanks to everyone who's sending questions over. Let's see. Uh, in Mark chapter 7, Jesus said what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these things come from within, and they defile a person. I would guess Jesus' statement would not be very popular in our culture, where 
victimhood seems to be a slightly more popular than personal accountability. So, gentlemen, how would we communicate these truths in a world today, um, in a culture, and sometimes a church when they don't want to hear it? <laughs> go, guys, go. Yeah, well, well I, you know, I mean, I, I, do get, I do get tired of everybody has to be a victim. And, you know, it just... Does anybody take personal responsibility anymore, or is everything I do my parents' fault <laughs> or, or the fault of my culture or the fault of, you know, what happened 150 years ago in America? I mean, can I, can I myself uh, take responsibility for my own behavior? And, yeah, so it gets a little sickening. <laughs> you know, on Judgment Day, I'm not going to be able to stand before God and blame my parents for my sin. Mm-hmm. I, I You know, and so— yeah, I, it it just grates on me that that we always, you know, it's this is the Garden of Eden. Adam, did you eat that fruit? No, no, it's the woman you gave me, by the way, Lord. It's, it's your fault and the woman's fault. Eve, did you eat that? No, no, it's the snake that you made, God. He's the one. I mean, we're always trying to pass the buck, and boy, do we do that today. Mm. Yeah, I uh, have the privilege right now of teaching a, a class on the Gospel of Mark, and actually we talked about this very passage this morning with, um, with my students, and you know, what's interesting about this is what Jesus is doing here is he's, he's going after um, the traditions that the Pharisees and the scribes had had constructed, um, thinking that this is the way that they were actually obeying the Mosaic law um, as ones who are called to be holy, to be distinct, to be separate, to be other. But Jesus calls them out on that, and he says, you know, he quotes Isaiah and says that, you know, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. After calling them a hypocrite, in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. And he says, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. And so I think what's so interesting here is he's, he's getting at really attacking the traditions that have been constructed around the ceremonial laws of purity and what it means to be unclean and clean. And Jesus is saying that, you know, what defiles you isn't if you wash your hands before you eat, <laughs> like the Pharisees had set up, or if you go through these ceremonial rituals. He's, he's really talking about you need a renovation of the heart. And, um, and, and it's, you know, radical here because he actually declares, Mark's little comment here, um, is that he declares all foods clean. And so um, he's, he's talking about a holiness at the heart level. And what's, what's so interesting about this in the context of Mark in the broader context is since he's writing to a, uh, primarily a Gentile audience, he he goes after the heart of the Pharisees that says, you're, you basically, what you're declaring with your mouth and demonstrating with your lives don't align. And then right after that, there's a Gentile woman from Syrophoenicia who approaches Christ, who essentially, un- he gasps her, it's a, yeah, I won't have time to get there, but he, he basically, she's the one who actually demonstrates a purity of heart in a faith and reaching out to Jesus, reaching across uh, social and religious lines and boundaries that have been constructed and actually commends her for her faith um, and, and for the integrity of her heart. And so we see this huge contrast between the very people of God who are supposed to be the ones to have get it, to, to have gotten it and understood. And now a Gentile woman is the one who actually gets it more than the scribes and the Pharisees. Mm-hmm. And so um, in terms of understanding what's clean and unclean. So Jesus is, def- is redefining what's clean and unclean by going after the, the heart, truly the, the heart of the matter. 
you know, I'm very good at being able to identify and face the truth in you guys. <laughs> but I sure don't like it when you do it to me. Mm-hmm. You know, and I always have an excuse. I had a couple years ago, uh, they were pregnant out of wedlock, and they were trying to decide if they're going to get married, and they were coming for counseling and guidance. And we're, we're talking about it, and I was amazed at how for the, the first hour or so talking, they kept deflecting like, this just happened out of the blue. You know, we, we didn't mean to do this. You know, we just lost control. You know, we're really not guilty of this. And I finally said, was there any point in those moments you were together where you could have stopped and said, no, this isn't right? And the guy looked at me and he said, what fun would that be? Uh-huh. The problem is we don't want to accept responsibility for our behavior. And right now we live in a world that basically wants to blame everybody else but doesn't want to accept personal responsibility for their behavior. And as a result, we have a very mixed up society and a lot of people hurting one another. And of course, if I wind up, you know, going to a rally and then I beat you up and that it's because of your political persuasion or your ideas and you deserve that. Boy, that Jesus said, stop that. Stop that. Look in the mirror. You're the problem. And when he told me that years ago and I did look in the mirror, I realized I was the problem. Mm. And, you know, the verse, First uh, John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, uh, God is faithful. Not if I confess my parents' sins or how my society is dumped on me. If I confess my sins. And, uh, you know, I was raised Lutheran, but Dad was a Catholic, so now and then I go to Catholic Church. And the Catholics used to beat their chest three times and say, mea culpa, mea culpa, mea grave culpa, my fault, my fault, my own most grievous fault when they were confessing their sins. We need to get back to that. <laughs> and and uh, and I grew up Lutheran, Missouri Synod, and they have a beautiful old prayer that I grew up with. Every Sunday you would confess your sins, and I confess unto thee that I've sinned against thee by thought, word, and deed, whereby I deserve thy temporal and eternal punishment. But I am heartily sorry for them and sincerely repent of them. And I pray thee of thy boundless mercy, and because of the innocent, bitter sufferings and death of thy beloved Son, Jesus Christ, be merciful to me, a poor sinful being. To pray that prayer, you've got to believe your sin is your sin, and it's not. I mean, your parents can dump on you and, and mess you up, but at the end of the day, what I do today is my fault and not my parents' fault. Mm-hmm. All right, gentlemen, in Exodus thirty-three, thirty-four, it talks about Moses talking face to face. And a few verses later, it says, no one has seen God's face and live. Can you explain? I think there's a sense in which Moses saw God, and there's a sense in which he didn't see God. He didn't see God in all of his total fullness, because then, uh, doesn't it say, no man can see me and live, something right. like that? Right, Yeah, so I don't think we see God in his fullness, but God did let, let Moses see his back, if you remember that story. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, th- some of the stuff, you just got to put it all together and, and do the best you can. Yeah, maybe we'll re- resurface uh, that n- next time as well. That's an interesting topic. Because uh, it does say that Moses talking face to face. Of course, that would make me think he's looking at the face of God. But then, the you know, a few verses later, it says no one can see God's face and live. So, I like it. Yeah, I think Bill, that's you know, and we contrast in what uh, I think Paul talks about um, this in Second Corinthians four. Like we, you know, we behold the glory of God in the face of Christ, and and uh, you know, and Moses came down out of the mountain and. His, um, his face was glowing, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and 
and uh, and, he, and he hid that veil because he didn't want others to see it. But you know, I said that we with with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, um, were being transformed from one degree of glory to another. So I think when the Bible talks about you know seeing God's face, it's really talking about seeking God for who He is and His character. Um, you know, and so much of you know the Israelites reaching out to God for what they could do for him. Um, you know, you can kind of contrast this as they were seeking his hand, so to speak, what he could do. But this idea, I think, of speaking God face to face, I think, you know, we don't necessarily need to take that in the literal sense. He's seeing his actual face because it said that he descended, you know, and obviously he usually shrouded himself cl- with a cloud because cause his glory, li- I mean, literally would obliterate any- anything because it's so, because of, ho- of his sheer holiness. But I think really what it's speaking to is, is the intimate connection that God provided Moses to have with himself, that Paul makes that connection that actually we have that even to a greater degree um, with God because mm-hmm. of Christ. Yeah. So I think it's, yeah. Yeah, great answer. Say, I also... We're out of time. We're out of time, unfortunately. We're we're, yeah, we're, we're done at five today. I do want to say there was a great question that came in from uh, Jason, and I didn't get to it today, but I'm going to send that question in advance to the power panel so we can address it next week. And there are still a whole bunch of questions that came in I never got to. So I apologize that uh, we didn't get to your question, but I'm putting it on the list for next week. Well, let's see the week after, because next week is Thanksgiving. So the week after that. (laughs) So that's when we will be back together. Gentlemen, thank you so much for your time. And I enjoyed it as always. That wraps up Guy Talk. Thank you so much, Bill. You bet. We'll take a short break. When we come back, we're going to do Deep Thinker Thursday with John and Pam Bloom. Be right back. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.